Seeing this man's is a bit of luck. Let the bay keep the boy, or it'll be Billy Bombay what has eaten me to the treasure. Oh, oh dear lad. Oh, it's that smelly old seagull Dick Scratcher. <laughs> oh, Billy. Billy Bombay, me darling. Yes. I see you're still working the old three country. Yes. Well, I'd like to put a bit of money. I'm feeling a betting mood. Any time, take your money, lad. On the elusive olive. I'd All like right, to put a bit down. on there. All right. Put your money yeah. ready. There's me money. Are you it's there, isn't there? Yes, I do. Right, there, then. It's not there. It's not there. But it's there, baby. What? It's there. There it is. Uh, oh, you're not. You'll always have bad luck on me, Dick Scratcher. Oh, Bill, Bill. Listen, listen. Your luck's just about to change, because I'm going to help you, darling. How about that? You help me? Yes. Now, come over here with me, and let's have a talk. We can talk here. Yes, we can talk here over there. Come on now, Billy. He'll be back. Hear me, darling. Oh, I know. told you it was a lovely joke. Come here. If you can, if you can help me see the ghosty Aratma Hamlet, I'll share the treasures with you, Bill. I will, because I've seen it. I've seen it through my own eyes. Oh, Bill, there was pearls, pearls, as big as duck's eggs. <laughs> More likely ducks, as big as pearl's eggs. <laughs> will you come with me, Bill? <laughs> Goonpod. Uh, this week, Chris Diamond and I are talking about the 1973 disaster movie, Ghost in the Noonday Sun. Uh, this follows hot on the heels of last week's episode, where we talked about the 2016 feature-length documentary, The Ghost of Peter Sellers, which was inspired by the troubling experience that director Peter Medak had in making that film. So we joined the conversation where Chris is about to vent. There's a few, I think there's a, a few things that I, I, I mentioned before is I kind of not only don't like the film, but I kind of resent it. And one of the mm-hmm. things that bothers me about it is, because, and this has nothing to do with the film itself, I suppose, and it's a bit unfair, uh, and, and, I, and again dips back into the documentary, is that John Hayman, the, the, the financial guy, mentions that he was like spinning plates on like 10 other productions. And this was a Columbia financed film or, or or was to be distributed by Columbia and is a British film. And what what bothers me is like this was a period when there was a there actually was a film industry where the offices mm-hmm. for in London for 20th Century Fox and Columbia and Paramount and the rest of them were actual they weren't just rooms with faxes in them. There were actual yeah. production offices and films yeah. were being made. So it, it, it sort of narks you a bit when they're when somebody fannies about with one so much because it should have been just a better film. Anyway, yeah. that's 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 sort of just the, the background to it. So anyway, that but you go into it cold and I'm sitting watching it. I took a few notes as I went. I'll share them with you. Go ahead. So first of all. I hate the Mike Sam singers. Uh, he doesn't. 
Oh God, they give me they're, they're only one wrong down from the King Singers in my personal canon of hatred of that sort of thing. Mm. And it, it's annoying actually because the song, the opening song, which was written by Dick Vosborough, yes, yeah, uh, is actually quite funny. And if it had been given a proper, you know, hi hi ho, which it clearly was written to be, you know, pirate romp song with people shouting and clinking tankers and sung like Robert Newton would probably have been much better. Anyway, nice helicopter mm. shot. Mm. This is what I've written down. Silent intro, intro, way too long. Yeah. Having the conceit and- of a sort of silent film at the start, you know, with the thing I thought was quite funny. It kind of wastes Peter Boyle. But yeah, it just that's the thing, right? P- Peter Boyle it gets quite high billing in this film. And you expect yeah. you're gonna see you're gonna see at least at least five to ten minutes of Peter Boyle in the film. You <laughs> oh, don't. You oh. see about what? You maybe see half a minute. The seconds of, of him in black and white silent. Yes. In a full flickering uh, projection thing. And uh, uh, quite a nice conceit. I like that, but it just goes on and on and on. Well, the other thing that that, that Medak should have should have, because we get introduced through the through through the intertitles to yeah. uh, the central character, which is Peter Sellers playing Dick Scratcher. Dick Scratcher, isn't it? Dick Scratcher, just hilarious, right? Do you know, you you know, you just know that first of all, Sellers probably came up with that name. If he didn't, then Milligan did at some point. No, Milligan, I think Milligan did. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. he did, and, and Sellers just has, has held on to it. And mm. I bet you that Dick Scratcher the pirate is all he thought of for this film. And then that's that's what started all. I bet you sitting in you know some some groovy coffee house, listening to Lonnie Donegan records or something. <laughs> You know what we should do? Make a film about Dick Scratch and the Pirate. That'll be hilarious. <laughs> anyway, it's a silent bit. It just goes on for too long. As you see, with the intertitles are a, are a mess, but because you kind of feel that when this film actually starts, you know, after when it, he comes out the cabin and it's in mm. colour all of a sudden. Mm. And, you, and you're like, and, and then it, you know, it sort of unfolds a bit. And you think, have I come into this film half an hour in? Because who are these people? You know, mm. <laughs> I know the opening black and white thing is supposed to introduce everybody and what the and what the basic premise of the film is, but it doesn't really. And, and also, uh, Sellers' character is not very. First of all, the look with the hair and all that sort of thing, I just find really unappealing. Yeah, I do too. You know, it's not yeah. funny. It looks nasty. And yeah, it is. There's nothing to warm to about him. His accent, his Irish accent for him, is really poor. He's got a much better Irish accent in uh, Up the Creek. Oh, the Naked uh, Truth, even. You know, the Naked Truth, yeah. So, you know, it's not like he can't do it. It's also largely inaudible a lot of the time. I've no idea what he's saying a lot of the time. Uh, so, anyway, so that, that doesn't help. Because uh, he's, it's the look that he's got all the way through it. So that was the second. The next thing I wrote is immediate racist joke. Because <laughs> the second he yeah. comes out of the cabin, he, the 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 is it a, the black guy is it Abdullah? I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, Abdullah, yes, yeah, yeah. 
he then immediately grabs his arm and rubs it and then looks at his hand as if he's rubbing it off. Yeah. And yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah mm. hilarious. Mm. Then, then, then I've got Ireland, question mark. Well, you see in the ghost of Peter Sellers <laughs> that they're, you know, they're clearly filming in, in the Greek islands. Cyprus, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah Cyprus. Um, and it's supposed, supposedly <clears throat> it's Ireland. Uh, well, you said about you said about you said about Sellers Sellers uh, Irish accent being ropey, not quite as ropey as the young lad's Irish accent. Is. Oh God! Well, at least it. Well, to be fair to the lad Jeremiah, who actually is one of the better things in it, because he's quite a good, he's quite good. But at least you can't blame him for his accent. <laughs> you know, he's not a world renowned, you know, mimicker, mimicry True. artist. Look there, there's a Greek lad on the shore. Ahoy there, Greek lad on the shore. Say to him hello in, in you speak the Greek. Say to him hello in the Greek. Yasu? Ah, he's deaf. A lot of them Greeks goes deaf young. I know that personally. What language is it you're speaking, sir? He's talking to your native Greek, you higgering little swine. Well, this is not Greece, sir. This is Ireland. Ireland! Ireland! Army Ireland! I love you! Oh! God bless all here, lads. God bless all here. I'm descended from the kings, you know. Oh, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, Brian Barrow in the house of Tara. Ah! Oh, me native Ireland. I love it. Then Tony Francios appears. And the first thing I've written down is, he looks like the sort of person you're introduced to when you're a kid as your uncle, but not your real uncle. As your yeah. uncle Tony, he's not your real uncle. Do you, when you say that, do you mean um, uncles that when your dad's away on the oil rig, <laughs> these um, these succession of uncles that turn up to visit your mum? Well, maybe or in you... some households. No, but I'm thinking of like, you know, like <laughs> your dad turns up after a football game or a birthday or whatever and he's pissed. Uh, and he's, get, he's yes. getting some friend with him. They go, that's your uncle Alec. Yeah. And then you have yeah, to say yeah. to somebody, it's like, who's that? They go, who was there? Well, my uncle Alex, not very long yeah. He's just, and in some texts, he's just somebody who turns up drunk with my dad every now and again. Or or somebody from their work, you know, or whatever. But he just has that look, that slightly bag <laughs> smoky, beer smelly, you know. Slightly dis- just slightly disreputable. Yeah. The, yeah, kind yeah of, no, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the person your dad knows... <laughs> That somehow your meter's running backwards, or yeah. uh, how did you get that car fixed so cheaply? Sort of thing. That's your uncle Tony. He's not your real uncle. I've only ever known Tony. What is it, Franci- Fran- Francioza? Francioza. Sorry, Francioza. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've only ever known him mm. from reading a thousand Sellers biographies over the years. You know, mm. he's only ever be- been. I've only ever been aware of him because. Each seller's biography will set aside, you know, yeah, half a chapter to Ghost in the Noonday, in the noonday Sun. Sure, and it's many and how he, and, and how he fell out with Tony Francioso. Yeah, yeah. So I've never known him from any. I mean, looked at his, you know, I looked at his IMDb page and all the rest of it. I've not. I don't think I've, I've seen him or seen him in a film or on a television program. No, apart from this, to be fair, I know he was married to Shelley Winters at one point. Apparently. Yeah, she, she, she took. I remember her telling a story. About mm. how Marlon Brando took her to the hospital when she was having a when she was having a baby, 
and right. Tony, and she it was when she was married to Tony Francios. I mean, but just as an aside, as if he wasn't worth talking anymore about. And also, right. he, he, he had a, a he was nominated for an Oscar in like 1960 or something for some middling oh, film. Yeah. But you know, when you look at his IMDb credits, he's in all these films that you've never seen. You know, mm. like films with names like, you know, Blood on the Water or Hard Hat in Paris. You know, any collection of word salad names you can think of. You know, it was hell out there. Cypress at Midnight. Anything. Any of the, yeah. there could be anything. Mm-hmm. And then he's and then he's in lots of and then he's in telly things and whatever. And you think he's a you know he's just one of the, there's nothing wrong with it. He's just one of those actors that's in all these films that you've never seen. There's lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in, in the doc, get back to the documentary. You're just like, oh, they start out as great pals, and then you know there's an awful lot of mucking about, and then he stands up to sellers, then he never talks to him again, and all that sort of thing. You're like, all right, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly, you know, he's not exactly Orson Welles on Casino Royale, you know, facing him down. So anyway, Tony Francioza, who who's a bit of a, I, I, he doesn't really make much of an impact in the film, to be honest. The, the, the one thing you can say about Sellers that is undeniable is when he's on screen, Sellers is what you're looking at. No matter how badly made up he is or no matter how inaudible he is, he's the person your eye is drawn to. Because you're waiting for him to do something or say something or whatever. He is a star. He was always a star. And he's the central point of any frame that he's in. Uh, so then I, I start. you start to realise, or, or I started to see, we're barely, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into it. And you can you start to feel the hand of Milligan you start to see the hand of Milligan and things. Because the uh, the tombstone in the cemetery that says, whatever's the name is O'Brien, died of alcoholism 113, thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Is a, is, a, is a very straightforward Milligan joke that was probably, you know, would have been in the series of Pacoon if he'd made it. Uh, so then, you know, I start, you know, well, in, in the in the graveyard scene, Sellers at one point says, uh, "We'll all be murdered in our graves." Yes, yeah. which is which which I I suspect wasn't necessarily a Milliganism or Milligan addition. I think Sellers possibly just added that because it's a line that he remembered from the Goon. Show, well, a slightly adapted line he remembered from the Goon Show days. That's a very, but you see, I I think that's a very Sellers thing because he'll mm. uh, he'll often. You know, in interviews or in cameo appearances or whatever, he'll use lines that were Milligan's lines that he's just sort of appropriated. Yeah. Uh, because you know, because why wouldn't he? You know, that's because there's that weird because that was the period that they were almost sort of merged into one person. Uh, hmm. So it just seems it just would seem natural that that's the way because he almost learned how to how to talk in a funny way from Milligan. Uh, who, who, you know, like he provided them a vocabulary for this sort of thing. If you want to be arsy about it. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can we just mention, because we're getting to the point in the film 
Yeah. So they ki- right. Okay. What I don't understand, and it's completely bolted on that Sellers, or oh, sorry, Dick. Yeah. Decides for no for no reason that yeah. Jeremiah, the young the young lad, can Good see ghosts. Okay. Yeah. Why does he? Where's he got that? I, it, he says. He says just like me, old shipmate Billy Bombay will come to yes. later. But, yeah. But why does he decide that? Obviously, for the purposes of the, the plot. Yeah, the film decides the, the, that he has to. Yes. And, and yes. I think I think that the, and that's that's one of the most egregious things that can happen in a film, is that something happens because the film needs it to happen, and I yes. think the best way that the best thing that I can think of is. It's because for some reason there's wash, there's sheets drying next to the cemetery in the middle of the night. And mm. because the film needs there to be, needs Jeremiah to be covered in a sheet because of the wind. So you get all of these very uh, clunkily put together bits where he's in the cemetery because he's chasing after Jeremiah. I don't know why. Uh, He's uh, then suddenly, oh, isn't it windy? It's terribly windy. And there's washing there. So then the wee guy disappears, but he, he reappears behind him because a sheet has blown over him. So now there's a ghost there. So Jeremiah can see ghosts, except Nick Scratch has seen the ghost as well. It's really, <laughs> it's really complicated and stupid. Uh, but but anyway, that's it. They, they need they need the lad to be able to see ghosts and that's the best they could do. Mm. Uh, but again, you, that's, it's, it's like you say, there's, he suddenly starts to mention all the time, like me old mate, Billy Bob, <laughs> because, <laughs> because we have mm. to get, we have to build, so Milligan at least has thought, well, if I'm going to be in it later, I better be mentioned at some point. Yeah. And just out of well, the I was, blues. I was thinking, I was worried by this point because I'm thinking we're half an hour or more into the film. Maybe yeah. not quite, but I'm thinking, well, there's no sign of Milligan yet. Yeah. And I'm thinking Peter Boyle got quite high billing and we, yeah. we saw him for, for 30 seconds. Is is, mm-hmm. is that going to be the same with Milligan? Are we going to get uh, you know a minute of Milligan? And, um, uh, we got more. So that I've, I've lit, I have written constant mentions of Billy Bombay shoehorned in. <laughs> mm. Talking about uh, outtakes or at least things happening that weren't scripted but worked out well when uh, when James Villiers hey yes <laughs> and uh, your man what's his face uh, Murray, Murray Melvin Murray Melvin mm. <laughs> Murray Melvin he's great he's <laughs> wonderful I love him <laughs> yeah. I do like I do like in the uh, in the documentary how he uh, explains all of these wonderful scenes that he was in that were cut <laughs> It's not but not better. If people, but when if people the, don't if people don't listen to this, don't can't associate who Murray Melvin is. If anyone's seen the film Barry Lyndon, they will know yeah. who he's the very, very slim, very tall, very sort of feline featured mm. man with uh, actor with um flared nostrils, very flared nostrils, very striking looking. You you you'd see him, you you wouldn't you wouldn't forget him. No, you wouldn't forget him in the street. Ge- um, he's still he's still going. He's ninety now. Um, yeah. But he, no, when you say when in the in the documentary, he's um, very dapper, isn't he? He's very uh, oh yeah, very nice very, suit very, and very prim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's talking about the film, like you say. He's he's clearly 
he clearly found the whole thing rather odious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was the day when when Spike took over, and and um, he had the shot where um, it was it wasn't obligatory to be in it because it wasn't in the script. Yeah. And I know I refused, which 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 Spike didn't really like, when he made everybody dress up as Spike Milligans. 30 years of being your captain. And 30 years ago, I promised you a sight of the treasure. And half of the time, I couldn't tell who is who and which is Spike, and I completely lost him. So I had to say, Spikey, where are you? And then he got them trained, all the others, so they were answering with his voice. Oh. James Villiers, for other people, again, is a... Uh, I mean, he just had a whole career of playing sort of pompous, upper-class English asses and everything from this to Rumpole of the Bailey, you know, just you would recognise him again if you saw him. One of, the, one of those excellent actors who's just... You need people to be very good in, in, you know, in those kind of parts, and he was always very good in those parts. But uh, they board the ship for some reason... You know, the Royal Navy are apparently out searching for some... Yeah. Seem, ..seem overly concerned with what's happened to a Irish child and are scouring the seas for him, for, bizarrely. They board the, uh, the pirate ship, hijinks ensue, and then as they're rushing to leave because they think there's a... Oh, the Red Plague... They say they've got, they've got dots yeah. in their faces, which yeah, you don't see them put on. It's official. It's um, proper name is the Crut. The Crut, which yes, is, sorry, which is, which is a Milligan name, of Milligan, straightforward Milligan mm. name. It's, it's, yeah. it's only shy of being called Lurgy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they go on. Oh, we've got to go, and as they run down the uh, the ladder from the, oh, I don't know how big ships, the forecastle. I don't know. Mm. The poop deck, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Villers, his his tricorn hat comes off, and he 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 grabs it, and in one sweep grabs it and puts it back in his head as he's running. And I thought, wow, that wasn't scripted. Mm. <laughs> well done, well done, Villers. That saved everybody another take. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as you say, that's about you're about half an hour in, or forty, almost forty minutes in, and that's what I'm. That's the sort of thing that I'm being left to notice. One of one of the few decent things, I suppose you could call it, that came out of this film. Yeah, was an advert. Oh yeah, no, the, yeah, I was going to come to that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to mention it now because, um, and it is available on YouTube. It, it yes. was very well received at the time. It's an, an advert for Benson and Hedges. Yeah, and I'll um, tell you how resonant it was as well. Well, here's the thing, Chris. That might be the same. You you might be about All to right, mention okay. this yourself. Yeah, but yeah. I I was a huge fan when I was a kid of Are You Being Served? There you go. That's what, that's where I was going. All <laughs> right. And there's a there's an episode of Are You Being Served where yep it pays uh, to advertise. Is it that one? Right. Okay, yep. I can get the clip from that. Then it's when uh, they're looking at ways of advertising. Grace Brothers yep. or something like that. Yeah. And Captain Peacock suggests he says there's a there's a, a very funny advert where Spike Milligan jumps through a boat. Jumps through the bottom of the boat. And then then you have the whole production of an advert <laughs> on the shop floor of Grace Brothers, yep. uh, the rehearsal and so forth, which is very funny. 
and they show it to young Mr. Grace, and he says, Mr. Rambold, get onto the advertising agency. We'll have Spike Milligan jumping through the bottom. <laughs> I when I when I first saw that I, I I didn't know about this advert I'd never seen the advert no me neither no. No, no so I didn't know and it wasn't until relatively recently I say in the last ten years or so yeah that I see, I've finally seen the advert on yeah. YouTube or whatever um and it, it's it's you know it's mildly amusing it's quite you know the the sure Milligan doing his thing and Sellers doing his thing and. Um, and, and it's, it's weird how it came about because basically they were, the, so the, the halfway through filming a ghost in the, in the noonday sun and Sellers goes to Medak and says, look, I've been asked to make an advert. Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting paid 50 grand and a Mercedes. <laughs> um, that's like a quarter of a million quid now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge amount of money. Spike's getting 25 grand. Yeah. And we think we probably get James Villiers for five grand. Five grand, oh. and and Medak, we he asked Medak if he will agree to direct it, and and Medak does kind of yep, thinking that it might calm the situation. Yes. It might yeah get that, him back on side. Yeah, probably with powers yeah. again. Yeah, so Doesn't... they so they film it. They, they film it <laughs> on location where they are. Yep, and the premise is that they're they're stealing gold bullion from some uh, a, a vault, vault. And, yeah, and to stifle the the alarm. Yeah, use a packet um, of B&H. Yeah. Use a packet of B&H. And so they're filming this, and then the the the, the climactic bit where uh, they, they, they've got the gold, Spike's got the gold laden about his overcoat. Yep. So Medak says to Sellers, right, will you grab the grab the packet yeah. from the alarm? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sellers says, Sellers says, I can't do that. Peter, yeah, I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> don't, you, don't you know I'm chairman of the anti-smoking league? Yes. <laughs> and Medak's like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah. He says, I, I, can't, "I can't, I can't be seen to be holding a packet of yeah. cigarettes." So Medak says, oh. "So he goes to Spike, mm. and he says, Spike, will you? I want you to grab the the packet." Spike yep. says, "I can't. What do I can't grab the packet." I'm the assistant chairman of the yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then eventually they go to James Villas is like, yeah, it's fine, I'll do it. <laughs> Couldn't care less. The interesting thing and about then, that from my perspective was I always knew, you know, Milligan anti-smoking was one of Milligan's hobby horses. Mm, yeah. Uh, I just I had no idea Sellers was on the same the same tip. Because no. every time you every time you see a picture of me smoking. Did, did he give them up though after the heart attacks in in oh, the sixties? I, I, I don't know. It's probably, I don't remember yeah. him ever camp. I don't remember ever hearing a word about him speaking against it. He probably just made it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but I know that Spike. No. They say in the documentary that Spike regretted doing the the ad, and he he insisted that the check for his mm. fee be made out to the uh, to Ash. Yeah, to Ash, um, and then and then Gallagher's were like, no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, but that that's so that is one, one, one successful sort of byproduct, I suppose, of this film. I suppose so. I mean, I, I, I mm. think it, it's it's incredible that uh, when you think of how you would shoehorn in filming a commercial 
you know, pre- presumably for worldwide distribution mm. on somebody else's film set, presumably mm. using their technicians and film stock. Yeah. And then just have it handed over and everybody thinks that's okay because that's how that's the that's the nick that Peter Medak said at the time. Whereas normal you know, surely the normal answer is no. Well, or at least what are you giving me? Yeah. What am I getting, yeah. you know, what am I getting out of this? He, but, uh, well, he just thought he was he was gonna buy him a bit of credit at the <laughs> bank of sellers. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of get him a few chips and this, you know, uh, you know, I might, I might actually do some work tomorrow, but uh, nope, that didn't work out. Well, the the only thing, the only thing is, and I don't know whether it inspired the scene in the film or the scene in the film inspired the ad, but there's yeah. a scene in the film where it's Sellers, yes. isn't it, that jumps yeah. through the bottom of the boat? Yeah. Yeah, he jumps out and he jumps to the bottom of the boat. Yeah, as maybe maybe they thought, oh, well, mate, does that work? Might as well do that again. Right. Actually, yeah. the number of times Sellers jumps into the water <laughs> is, I find, quite yeah. surprising. And I'm not sure if it's him or if it's Bert Mortimer or somebody, but it certainly looks like him. Or um, uh, uh, John, uh, Joe Dunn. He, yeah. he was Sellers' stunt double as well for certain scenes, wasn't but, he? But I mean, he really, I mean, it certainly looks like Sellers because especially the one where. Uh, they're chasing mm. the <laughs> chasing the goose. Sorry, the duck. And uh, he's le- he's off the very fr- the prow, the very front of the ship. And it look it certainly yeah. looks like I'm shouting and screaming and then falling into the water. I mean, the- don't get me wrong, the water looks lovely, but uh, I'm not sure I'd want to drop into the open open sea in a troubled production. Oh, but oh, but man. anyway, <laughs> anyway. The other little bit, well, I won't go through all of these. I don't, as we said, we didn't want to pick apart the entire film the we are. But one of the few things that bothers me, uh, particularly about the actual the way it's made, because it's, I mean, it's the, the the actual film itself is, you know, it's it looks nice and it's been made probably the best way it could be. You know, it's not an ugly looking film, mm-hmm. uh, but it uses speeded up comedy footage for comedy effect, which mm-hmm. I absolutely hate in any film. Yeah. I hate it. Mm. Uh, and when they have that sort of uh, fight scene, you know, uh, with the there's a sort of Marie Celeste ship comes aside and it turns out to be a trick and all these corsairs jump so, out yeah. who are being weirdly yeah. dressed like Knights Templar or something. And they have a sort of uh, fight scene on the deck of the ship. It's and awful. first, they, it's really bad. They do it speeding mm. up, which I anyway I hate. But it's actually a really ineptly made fight scene. You know, there's no dynamism to it. There's lots of shots where you can see people just standing about. It's really badly made. Yeah. The duck scene, (laughs) the duck sequence, Mm. which actually is quite funny. Uh, One of the things that I I noted about it is that in the the end of it, it's clearly, you know, when they're in the little long, ship, the little longboat it's clearly right at the beach you can see the waves lapping on the beach Oh yeah, <laughs> they, are, they are not <laughs> out at sea <laughs> no uh, but the sort of going backwards and forwards across the scene you know with, he's got a gun axe then he's got a gun, then blowing it out of the water and all that is is actually one of the few uh, the few sequences that, that kind of works there's another couple of um, lines from Goon shows that Sellers, yeah, little Dick, Dick speaks like, um, 
he's looking at a map at one point. He says the blue bits are the sea and the brown bits are the land. Yeah. Um, he, he's uh, when he's trying to make Abdullah walk the plank, he's going pokey, pokey, pokey. Which yeah. is kind of blue <laughs> yeah. bottle esque. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, um, Abdullah. Yeah. Um, you're a Coronation Street fan, so do you know about his his role in Coronation Street? Uh, well, was he one of the brothers McGregor? No, he was. Um, he was the first. Apparently, he was the first uh, black character in Coronation Street in '63. Oh, '63. Oh, that's well, that's way before. I couldn't work out because yeah. I, I knew I I, I I knew I knew him from something. Uh, mm. I'm confusing them with later on. Later on, there was a there were a, a couple of characters called. Uh, there were two brothers called McGregor's. The Joe Breed got one. Sit, sit, sitcom. Yeah, got spun off. Into, it's got spun off, spun off into a very funny sitcom. And I just wondered <laughs> if that because it's such a distance. Because I know that I think the actor, the black actor in Cornish, wasn't the same as in the sitcom, which I think was Paul Brady, but. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, that's that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah, talking of black characters, then Clive Revel turns up. <laughs> still alive, <laughs> the, by the way. St still alive. Yeah, still alive, Clive Revel. Yeah, uh, the Emperor lives. The Bay of Al. The series, the Bay of Algiers, in full cocoa. Uh, yeah. Again, for a, a quite high billing and hardly in it at all. It's two scenes, I think. I I, I him. love I I love him because uh, I love him. I really enjoy Clive Revel when everything I see him in, he's very rarely bad. Yeah, he's, he can yeah, be he's in a bad great, films. Yeah, he's a great actor, Clive Revel. Every, and when you think, you know, he's in uh, well, famously, he's the original voice of the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, uh, mm. that's that's the this thing that sort of his name kind of still gets mentioned about. He's a fantastic baddie and. An episode of Columbo. The IRA guy. IRA yeah, guy. Where he, yeah, where he's a sort of a poet uh, who's yeah. raised, you know, who's survived the troubles and he's right. he's uh, actually secretly gun running to to Northern Ireland. He's, he's brilliant in that. He is. He's good in, he's really good in Bunny Lake is Missing. He's well. great in Bunny Lake yeah. is Missing. He's also good in the film, which I'm sure you can't show now. Uh, one of our dinosaurs is missing. <laughs> With Peter set with Peter Ustinov in full, you know, taped up eyes. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, right? Uh huh. I watched that, or sorry, I watched twenty minutes of that. Yeah. About four days ago, mm. five days ago, because um, uh, my son has access to uh, 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 a, a, a fire stick. I think they call it, Chris. Um, the fire sticks. He, yes. he downloaded an app that you, you rub together the most... fire sticks. And you can see anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can access. He he's downloaded some sort of app where you can you can pretty much watch any film that's ever yeah. been made. Well, not not really, but you know. No, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but and I don't know. And I was just I was just literally just sort of looking through, just seeing what there was. And I thought, oh, one of our dinosaurs is missing. I've never seen that. I'll just stick that on just for just for, <laughs> right. you know, because Derek Nimmo's in it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, like Derek yeah. Nimmo. And um, yeah, it's just like twenty minutes, and I thought, no, no I'll watch something else. I think. <laughs> I I really like one of our dinosaurs is missing. I think that's mostly nostalgia though, because I watched it at like Christmas when I was a kid and things. And the cast list, you know, though the cast list is un unending. Oh, it's, you know, the, it's, it's Bernard Breslau, Helen Hayes. Joan Sims, yeah. 
mm. uh, Derek Geiler. Uh, it's one of those things where I kind of you see it now and you, and you think and I think to myself, well, I I kind of find it hard to believe anybody could really be offended by something as silly as this, but at the same time thinking. Yeah, well, you know, like, fair enough. If people are, I just I can't really be that surprised because it even has the music, even that sort of you know, it's like full on. Yes. It even has like the sort of Chinese takeaway font, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Clive Revel's very good in it. Uh, oh. But uh, in any case, uh, mm. he, he again, but as we say, he did about he's got quite high billing. And he has the one scene in the courtyard and then one scene in like with Tony Francois and your man from Coronation Street. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. his full. That's him. And by the way, by this time, I have literally no idea what the plot is. I don't know what's to do. I don't know where we are, why we're going, where we're going, where the treasure <laughs> is. I've no idea what the the ghost bit is to do the ghost in the no idea what that means and you know it's just literally I've no idea what's going on in the film by this point well, the, the, other the, thing, the only the only reason that that Dick Scratcher hasn't had his throat slit from ear to ear by the crew yeah it's because he knows because where the he, treasure is well yeah he says he knows but he's got this map with disappearing ink so even he doesn't know where it is anymore so his his idea is that this um he's uh, in, in invested Jeremiah with the power of yeah. persuasion that he can see dead people. But the um, problem with and... it, the problem with that is the crew know that he needs Jeremiah to see the ghost of Peter Boyle so he can find the treasure. So he, they know he doesn't know where the treasure is. Yeah, however, exactly. It, but it is a it is a child who sees dead people. So that's your cue. That's oh. your sixth sense, Q. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I, forgot. I, was, I, was trying, I was trying to be subtle. <laughs> yeah, see, I was, I was watching this, Chris, and I thought, oh, yeah, there's a child, a boy, who can see dead people. I wonder, I wonder if Eb Knight Shyamalan, <laughs> whatever his name is, ever, ever saw a, <laughs> a fifth-generation-old VHS of Ghost yeah. of Noonday's Son. I thought, oh, that's I'll an idea. i upon that idea. Hmm. Um, probably not. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but the, but the other thing is, then you've got Billy Bombay turns up, which is yeah. Spike, and Spike's always me old, me old he, mate he Billy always... Bombay. Yeah, yeah. And and at one point, when when Spike, when Billy spots Dick, yeah. he says it's that smelly old sea goon. Dick yeah, Scratcher. no, absolutely. Yeah, and the, and the that entire scene is is. Especially the way it ends is clearly just being made up on the hoof, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and and it's fine, you know, and it's 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 it actually it does lift the film does lift a bit because at least there's something different is happening in it. I got treasure on my own. What treasure? 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 Yes, that was your old ear holds up, didn't it? Yes, yes. I found a Greeky Poo's island. And there's silver in it. And I know the exact spot. Listen, listen. I'll give you one last chance. No. Will you come with me or not? Well. I th I, I thought, you know, because again, like you, I was worried that you weren't going to see very much of Milligan. But then I thought, well, no, oh, he's going to go with them. 
and then there'll be sort of hijinks, you know, you know, like um, Billy Bobby will like a sort of treasure and think he'll try and take over the ship, and but, but mm. none of that, none of that happens. <laughs> and he then turns it, up, he turns up with his brothers for some reason. Then he turns up with his brothers who all dress and sound like him. And there's in the documentary, Peter Meetag bemoans the fact that when they were filming it, he had no idea which one was Milligan. And actually, <laughs> it's really difficult to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's something about now, I should point out to your relief and the relief of the listeners, this is where I stopped taking notes because I just couldn't be bothered anymore. Because <laughs> it just descends into a sort of soup of where are we going and we're on the island and then he knows where the treasure is. No, he knows where the treasure is. It's the wrong treasure and it's up here and it just becomes a mess. But, but it does introduce, yeah. however, in, in the scene where they're breaking out Jeremiah, who for some reason has been put in jail, there was one line that made me laugh out loud, but not laugh out loud like hysterically, but just sort of... <laughs> which is... Uh, <laughs> Dick Scratcher says to one of the crew, don't tell, don't tell me you forgot the rope. And in a to- total Milligan line, the person says, all right, I won't. Yeah. That, that, I thought, oh, that's quite funny. I, I, by, laughed at, I laughed at the bit when they when they abandon Abdullah on that tiny little island with a goat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Jeremiah says to Dick, what, what? Oh, or Dick just remarks to Jeremiah, Whoever gets hungry first eats the other. Yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty thin beer by this point. And then really, you're sort of stumbling, literally actually stumbling towards the end. And it reminded me, it started to remind me a bit of Yellowbeard. You know, where uh, Graham yes. Chapman's film Yellowbeard, where yes. uh, when you get to, I mean, Yellowbeard is also a bit of a mess. Oh, but yeah. the the first third of it has quite has a lot of ideas in it that in themselves are actually quite funny, you know, like Blind Pew. Yes, you know, John Cleese's Blind Pew. Uh, as long yes. as if he turns the lights out, is a sort of master swordsman, and uh, you know Peter Bill's Queen Anne and all that sort. Of, you know, there are some there are some funny things. You know, some funny oh, and stuff. Of course, in it. Uh, Peter Peter Boyle's in that as well. He, oh, that's right, he is in it. Yeah, but when mm. it gets out towards the finding the treasure, it becomes. Absolutely interminable. Uh, yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 I found myself at the, when I was watching this thinking, I just want this to finish now, because mm. we're just sort of even Milligan wasn't getting very many lines into it by this point. You can tell it, there's a lot of oh we're going this way oh no we're that way oh no it's the wrong oh this is the treasure no that oh but oh but now we'll be able to read the map oh but what? It, it's just rubbish and uh, and then you get the sort of ending which is to do with a treasure that, Mill- that Billy Bombay is buried and it's actually cannibals on them but they're silver and then the crew abandoned them and then it's just Milligan tied to a tree and sailors you know buried up to his neck bickering with each other as it finishes and it's yeah. clearly just this is all we could think of to get this finished well, yeah, but you you missed out that that just before they get tied up or buried, Dick and Billy fight like hitting each other with spades, like oh yeah, a Vic and yeah. Vic and Bob, you know, that yeah. kind of <laughs> carry yeah. on. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's little flashes of 
humor and there's bits that i laughed at or giggled at or smiled at at least you know yeah i did i did like the bit where they're making abdullah walk the plank and jeremiah pleads with dick says think of his mother think of your mother mother push him in <laughs> that's the one that's one good joke in a film one actual good joke uh, short of blowing up a duck that's obviously a goose. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, so that gets us to the end of the film. Everybody will be delighted. Here's the thing, though. There are worse films. It's not It's bad. I think it's bad. But there are far worse films than that. But Columbia, we're told in the documentary, wouldn't accept delivery of it. Therefore, nobody would be paid. Mm. Uh, now I find it very very hard to believe that there's not more to it than that that Columbia Mm. would just say we're not accepting this because they did deliver a film and the idea that a studio would contractually be able to not accept it because they didn't like it I think is very very unlikely Sure. Because, you know, any studio could knock back any film on that basis. Why would you even have a contract? Why would you have finishing insurance? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So there's something yeah. we're still, we're something we're still not being told about the the very, very end of the of that process. And the, the documentary kind of skirts around that. We're just mm-hmm. told they wouldn't accept it. And then, but then, you're never told of what the fallout from that is. That was Medak paid. Did John Hyman get his money? You know, what did it mean for other? Did the crew get paid? You know, who? There's all sorts of questions to, that I want to know about. You know, it then being shelved and not appearing until 1985. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it got, VHS, a, v- it got yeah. a VHS release. So. Yeah. There's a still a chunk of the story that hasn't come out yet, I feel. It's just interesting how many films Sellers was involved with that around this period that just got shelved or barely screened. But do you not find that's that they see this is I think is the great enigma about Peter Sellers' career. Uh, he has the early period. I don't mean the down among the Zedman period. <laughs> You know, the mm. early sort of uh, Lady Killers Brothers. Yeah. Mm. All the sort of uh, those kind of the black and white years, which are his best mm. years, in my view. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, then does Doctor Strangelove and goes ironically stratospheric and becomes synonymous with the whole British film thing. Uh and then gets the Hollywood stuff, you know, and obviously Pink Panther works out for him and just makes him as makes him as rich as creases and all that kind of stuff. But then mm. you get to that late period where he just seems to sabotage, you know, every film that he's in. Yeah. To an ex- to does. some extent. And you think to yourself, how did did Peter this is a sort of slightly uh, I mean it's an unanswerable question. But it, it has something I've often pondered. Is it because he knew he wasn't going to live to an old age? He had a congenital heart problem. 
he'd had heart had heart attacks. Mm. He, you know, he was obviously being getting medicals and things for the films he was in, and I'm sure he was in constant contact with, you know, private clinics and so forth. He must have known that his time was fairly limited, you know. Did that feed into his not feeling like he had to behave? Because the behaviour that he exerted, that demonstrated, is not someone who thinks they're going to be working until they're seventy. That's true. Because how? Because how long are people going to put up with it? And he, yeah, but he behaved on the films that mattered, like being. <laughs> I think yes, absolutely yes. They, I think they also behaved on films where I think he was maybe intimidated is the wrong word, but certainly he was in films with people that wouldn't put up with, mm. you know, the nonsense. I can't imagine mm. Melvin Douglas having very much patience for anybody by the time True. he was making being there. You know, and Shirley yeah. McLean was no pushover. Uh, and obviously, as you say, he wanted to be in them, you know, and it was a, sh it was a shot at, probably realised it was shot at Oscar Gorey. But this also feeds into my point, because when he made Being There, he I, I'm sure he must have realised he wasn't going to get the whole of the 80s to have another three or four goes at, at getting an Oscar. Mm. So does that mean, therefore, that you just behave in the spoilt, bratish way that Peg had brought him up to behave like? Because it didn't really matter for very much longer because he didn't, he wasn't going to have a career that was going to last another 25 years. So why bother? So then you just, you know, you behave, you become the spoiled child again. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, one of the, one of the great what ifs of film history is, in my view, and actually would have been his better chance had he done it of getting an Oscar is that, uh, by all accounts, creditable accounts, uh, Coppola wanted him to play Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two. Yeah, I only found that out recently. One of my guests mentioned that. I would not heard that before. Yeah. It's fascinating that, yeah. No, I, th no, I think well, Lee Strasberg's all right as Hyman Roth. He's fine. Mm. I mean, but I mean, he's... He's just fine. Yeah. I think Sellers would have been absolutely stunning as Hyman Roth because he would have been able to challenge, channel all of that, you know, contained malice, you know, the quiet mm. exterior. When you can imagine him listening to uh, Michael talk with that, like, you know, his like curled lip, his little nasty curled lip look. Yes. That Jeffrey Rush got so perfectly off in the film, yeah. and I think he yeah. would just have been extraordinary. And if he had done it, he'd have got an Oscar for it. And and I I can't you know, considering the way that you know considering the way the film went over. Mm. Uh, mm. But anyway, that brings me back to that brings me back to my main point, which is why I I have thought about it a few times when you 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 read about how can somebody behave like this. And expect their career to last. But then did he expect his career to last? Did he know he was always heading for that suite in the Dorchester? Well, I 
<laughs> that terrible photo of him, you know, where he's holding his IV drip in the gown. Yeah. Where you can see you can see yes. through the gown and you can almost see through him. And the way Roger Lewis describes that by this time his heart filled his entire chest and was paper thin. And if you know you're heading there, you might as well just behave like a dick, I suppose. <laughs> you might as well just do what you like. And at the same time, you know, you have all the stories of all the flourishes of general, genuine genius and the recognising genius, or, you know, basically pulling the producers out of nowhere and turning it into the, the hit that it became and creating Mel Brooks's career for him, you know, and, mm. and, and making the Pink Panther films, which regardless of what anybody thinks of them critically, are still hysterically funny at their best. Definitely, yeah. And, yeah. W- and when I watched uh, the documentary, the, the Ghost of Peter Sellers, just, just one of those things, I watched it in a, a sort of streaming thing. And uh, I thought I'd watch something else, because it wasn't... I don't... I don't sleep very much at the moment so I thought I'll watch something else and I was in the mood therefore for another documentary about making a film and I watched Hodorowsky's Dune uh, I don't know yes. if you've seen I don't know if no. you've seen it no. so without wanting to go on about it too much is Alejandro Jodorowsky attempted to make an adaptation of Dune in the 70s okay and uh, there's a, a documentary about it, which I absolutely recommend everybody watch. It's fantastic. And how it was going, and it was all made, and Pink Floyd were going to do the music, and H.R. Geiger was doing concept art for it, and Chris Foss was doing concept art for it, and Salvador Dali was going to be in it, Orson Welles was going to be in it, Mick Jagger was going to be in it. And it was all it was all in place with uh, Michelle Sidhu, the French producer, and they took it to Hollywood and they wouldn't finance it. You know, that's it. And then it was allowed, you know, but it, it demonstrates how the concept art and things worked their way into, obviously, with Geiger, it worked its way into Aliens and whatever. It's, it's great. But here's the thing that I thought was weirdly synchro- serendipitous about watching it after the ghost of Peter Sellers. The saving grace of the legend of, of Hodorowsky's Dune is that it wasn't made. Because if it was made, it would have been fucking terrible. You know, some of the... I mean, I'm sure it would have been fascinating. And it was meant to be like 10 hours long. And they come up with all sort of mad ideas like you know, Paul Paul Atreides is an immaculate conception and all this sort of crazy avant-garde nonsense. And there's a lot of very sort of uh, worthy film people who are in it. They're very reasonable people who say, you know, it would have been awesome, it would have changed cinema. Or it would just have been a 10-hour-long miasma of art nonsense. But it doesn't matter because it wasn't made. So everybody can say it was amazing. And the story of trying to get it made is brilliant. The best thing that could have happened to Ghost in the Noonday Sun is that nobody made it. If they had all gone out there 
and started and the ship had crashed and this, that, and sailors kicked off and he pretended he did a heart attack and then they shut down production and didn't make it. Mm. Then Ghost in the Noonday Sun would probably be the legendary episode of the lost film of Peter Sellers. Unfortunately, what it actually is, is an interesting documentary about a shit film. Those storms and typhoons and tornadoes may happen. We loyally serve under Scratcher as captain. Whatever occurs, he's cheerful all day. In his morbidly miserable, bad-tempered way. Far little I know, far little I did. 